Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Jerusalem to the world, and you're a part of it wherever you are. Shalom, and welcome to the Land of Israel Network, broadcasting amazing content from Jerusalem and the Land of Israel to you wherever you are, and giving you a sense that the Land of Israel is where you are right now by plugging your mind and heart into the story. And yet another Shalom and welcome. To Rabbi Mike Foyer. Rabbi Mike, welcome to the show. Hi, Yisha. It's great to see you. We're uh, here on Spiritual Cafe. That's our weekly segment about the Torah portion uh, and other things. Uh, we are today not at Beit Midrash Sulam Yaakov, Sulam Yaakov.com, but rather at the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies or for Jewish Studies at pardes.org.il in the heart of Talpiot, a uh, South Jerusalem uh, neighborhood. And as I uh, speak to you right now, I, I'm looking behind you and I see a crane operating. One of my favorite sites, as we always say, cranes on pregnant women, right? Which means that Jerusalem is being built, the Jewish people are coming back home, and Talpiot is being built. Certainly the southern part of Jerusalem is one of the big expansions right now. That's the future of uh, Jerusalem is actually to the east, towards Tel Aviv, the entrance of town, and towards the south. That's where Jerusalem is really expanding right now. Should I tell that Tel Aviv is to the west? Tel Aviv to the west, thank you. I, was, I, was, I got confused. It's true. Uh, to the west, to the uh, Ma'arav. And that's Jerusalem, to the, 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 that's the new part of the city, and that's where a lot of money is going into, and that's where the train that's going to take 26 UKVFK minutes to Tel Aviv is going to take, and here uh, towards Gush Etzion, towards the south of Jerusalem. But, but we know, of course, that Jerusalem is going to expand north, south, east, and west. Our rabbis tell us that one day all of Israel will be called Jerusalem. All the way to the gates of Damascus. All the way to the gates of Damascus. And, and it happens to be that there's, a, uh, th- there's some re- restructuring over there happening right now, uh, getting preparing for that. Um, and all of Israel will be Jerusalem. The world will become Israel. That's very important to know that there's, a, there's an element in the world, in the whole globe, which is, which is the land of Israel. And what I mean by that is God created a beautiful world. This such an amazing world. Can I tell you about a minhag I have, Rabbi Mike? Please do. I know that you and I both share a, a, an appreciation, like many Jewish men and other people throughout the world, of, of a fine wine or a fine uh, a liquor. Uh, you know, I have a little bit of a problem with wine, so I prefer you know beer and vodka and things like that. But still, though, every Friday night we make kiddush over over wine uh, to to begin the Sabbath as a family unit and to 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 bless the Sabbath over a cup of wine to bless God for the Sabbath. When I bake the blessing for the wine, I try very hard to concentrate on the whole process of what it is to make a cup of wine. I try to think, and when I say the process, I don't mean picking grapes and then converting it to wine. I mean the process of what it is for God to have created DNA for the vine, for it to have these roots and to dig in the land of Israel and to, and to find nourishment, to have leaves that, create, that change the sun uh, in, into energy, uh, to, to have the, the knowledge to create these grapes, and then the process of picking it. And, and then, oh, and then I try to think about the cosmos and try to think about the sun and the at least six layers of atmosphere that we have. There are so many layers, and each layer has different temperatures and gases, and the whole thing is so, so incredible. And, and just to just think about that and, when, and, then, and then bring it all down into this Shabbat and God's creation of the world, just to try to envision all that in just a, f- a few words. My, my kids know I kind of go into, try to go into like a little bit of a trance to try to think, what is this cup of wine all about? That's beautiful because in the end, you know, the sages chose wine on which to sanctify the holiday because they say, because wine provides what's called har chavata lev. It, it opens the heart. 
It opens the heart. And in a sense, what you're saying is it adds a layer of consciousness to all of those sort of inanimate processes that, of course, God is aware of. But it takes a human being to tie them together and to elevate and to, and to dedicate them to the divine. That's a beautiful, it's a beautiful process. Right. And to be able to also teach that to your kids, I'm always telling people, if you want to keep your kids on the straight and narrow, show them that you believe in Kiddush, show them that you believe in Havdalah, like make these things, especially Havdalah, I'm always talking about, like make these things like real for them. They got to see on your face that it's a real transition between Kodesh and Chol, between the, the sanctified and, and the uh, not profane, but mundane. the mundane. All right, we are also in, in a moment of transitions. I, I shed a, a mini tear at the Western Wall uh, this Shabbat when we finished off the book of Bamidbar, what I like to call the book of politics, what you prefer the word, the book of leadership. Uh, and really the, the, the trials, travails, and travels of the Jewish people throughout the desert and their various challenges, including wars, political tensions, all that uh, happened in, in, the, in, in the last book. And we are now transitioning to a different book, and the book is called Deuteronomy. I don't know what even... what is Oh, Deuteronomy means second Torah, right? Exactly. Right, second Torah, like duo, like second, right? Mishneh Torah, which was one of the rabbinic names in Hebrew for the repetition of what we've already learned. Right. And it's going to repeat some things every time with a little English on it, with a little spin, with a little change. Uh, but I like to tell people, if you need a, Jew, a, a primer for Jewish philosophy, if you need a book to understand what... What our theology, quote unquote, is about. Although Rabbi Wine always says that we don't have theology, we don't we don't study God. Uh, you know, <laughs> we we just study ourselves how to how to serve God. We don't really study God per se. But in any case, if you understand Jewish philosophical theology, theological philosophy, however you want to understand it, just read the book of, of Deuteronomy, the book of Zvarim. It's full of this is what we believe, and not only this is what we believe, but how we embody it in practice. Because so much of Deuteronomy is a reiteration and, um, as you said, a, a new spin on the commandments. Because I agree with Rabbi Wine in the sense that we don't have a theology as an abstract pursuit of thoughts on God. Right? We do, however, have well-developed pathways of how to make God real in the world through action. And that is so much of what the book of Deuteronomy is about to me. So the first um, Torah portion in the book of Devarim... Which, which I, I like the Hebrew uh, version of it, which means, which means things. I got some things to tell you. I got a few things here, and these things are uh, Moshe Rabbeinu's things. This is unlike, unlike the last four books, the first four books of the Torah, uh, which really there's a, the Torah has a narrator voice, and that things are happening. I don't know, there's probably a technical word to describe when you have a narrator voice, and there's an, a storyline happening, and you're kind of watching it as an audience of a storyline. It's called third-person omniscient. Third-person? Omniscient. Omniscient. Okay, I knew there, was, there would be a technical term for that. Uh, 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 here it's changed. Here now is going to be mostly a monologue, with from time to time a litany of, of laws again, but mostly a monologue, a direct monologue, but also here we're also third-person, because while it sometimes uses I'm talking to you, generally the sense is, this is Moses sitting the people down for 30 days. Uh, we know exactly where, by the way. We know exactly where it happened. I don't know if exactly, exactly, but mostly exactly. We know that it happened in the plains of Jericho on the, on the Moab side. And, and we know where Jericho is, one of the world's oldest cities. And we know where those plains are. When you drive 
when you drive down there, you see the plane. It's a plane. You see what a perfect spot it is. I can see it from my porch, actually. I live in a place called Mitzpen Nevo, and Mount Nevo is where Moshe ultimately uh, receives his final rest, where he's buried. And I look out my porch all the time toward the mountains of Jordan and think, there, somewhere there is where this entire book was spoken. Right. Right. But you don't see the actual plain from your mountain. You can see the mountains of Nevo, but below it, the plain is hidden by other mountains. That's a true. Bit. That's true from the near Right, but you see Har Nevo. You, yes. see, you see Mount Nevo, probably where Moshe is very P.S., plug here for where I work, which is Hebron, the Jewish community of uh, hebron.org.il, uh, hebron.com. There is, there is a mystical midrash of sorts, uh, the, uh, the Chesed Lavram, which says that uh, Moses and Sipora are the fifth couple to be buried in Marat HaMachpelah. Really? I haven't they heard got, that. They got rolled in. Yep. They, 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 got, they got moved in. They made space for them. They, sub, they, they subletted some space for them. They made space for them. And they uh, basically, there's the fifth couple. The fifth couple. Fifth. Yeah, let me ask you a question. How many parts of the Ketorid are there? How many elements of the of the spice? Yes, there are eleven. That's right. With the eleventh one being the stinky one, right? Helena, yeah, right? the stinky one, right? Yes. So check this out. There's five couples in Maratha Machpelah: mm-hmm. Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. Abraham and Sarah, mm-hmm. Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob, uh, and, Jacob Leah. and Leah. So that and and Moses right. and Sipporah, maybe right? right? That's yeah. ten. And then you have to have a stinky element to make the beautiful sp- spice. The head of Esau. There you go. <laughs> I, I I see a book coming out. I see it now. I'll be waiting for it soon. Okay. All right. So here we go. The book of Deuteronomy is going to be spoken at the plains of Moab, opposite Jericho. The first Torah portion in the book of Devarim is actually a... um, uh, um, A recap. A recap of the book of Bamidbar. Bamidbar. It's 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 like in the desert, recapped. Here's what happened. Here's We basically, we... we, we uh, we read in the last Torah portion the the travels. Now he's going to tell us kind of his take on the on the things that happened there, including the wars, um, and 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 then he he says uh, basically the, the the key line is that he says God spoke to us, uh, God our Lord spoke to us at Chorev, saying you have remained near the mountain for too long. Turn around, head towards the Amorite highlands and all the neighboring territories in the Arava, the hill country, the lowlands, the Negev, the seashore, the Canaanite territory, and the Lebanon, as far as the Euphrates River. See, I have placed the land before you. Come, occupy the land, or take the land that God swore he would give your fathers. In parentheses, I say, who are they? In parentheses, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and and to their descendants after them. So basically, I'm going to tell you the whole story now of where you were, and I'm going to prepare you for going into the land. You know, in this, Moshe really sets a pattern, um, which is repeated by his student Joshua, which is repeated by the prophet Samuel Shmuel, which is repeated even by Nehemiah, which, by the way, I believe that you can see the sense of, even in the Declaration of Independence of the State of Israel, which is that you have to set the past on a clear and agreed foundation in order to be ready to step into the future. So let me ask you about that. Let me ask you a question about that. There's a debate amongst uh, nationalist activists today. I was at a wonderful meeting last night uh, that was actually spearheaded by Avi Abelow of the Israel Video Network. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was some debate because there were, there were, there were some people, uh, political-type activists, who said, listen, we have to fo- focus and fixate our language on the indigenousness of the Jewish people to the land of Israel. Why? Because they are trying to undermine our indigenousness. They're the, the enemies of Israel are trying to claim that we are foreigners, white interlopers, 
colonialists in a land that's not ours, white men kicking out the, 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 the dark man, okay, right. the black man. I've heard it. Right. And, and then somebody, and in fact that somebody was Arya Abramowitz of the uh, Land of Israel Network, one of the founders of the Land of Israel Network and, and a good friend, and he's like, all that indigenous stuff, it's not the deep truth. The deep truth is that God gave us this land. And if you know Ari Abramowitz, that's exactly him. You know, he'll say, God gave us this land. The Canaanites are more indigenous than we are. And, and that argument is, is not strong. But I, and, and, and I, like, I was like, I was swayed by that in the sense that the ultimate deep truth is, is that God gave us this land, first Rashi and the Torah and so forth. On the other hand, what you just said right now, set out your history. And we've seen this a few times. Yiftach mm-hmm. gives, gives that talk. Uh, here, the you know, the, the, there is there is a retelling of history, and therefore the claiming of rights through that history. Right. So which one is it? I I don't think the two contradict because notice what's Moshe doing? He's saying we came from outside. I mean, it's a fascinating thing that together with the the sort of um, covenantal bond which God makes with Israel in the land is always a reminder that we came from outside. Now, true. Avram, I promise it to Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. But sometimes he'll go out of his way to point out where did Avram come from? From outside. Right? Avram came from outside into the land. And it's because the land is meant to hold us in relationship with God insofar as our relationship with God is right. I agree with Ari on that one. Now, that being said, if it were the Canaanites right now standing up and arguing with us about the possession of this land, so I might be a little bit nervous about their ability to undermine it. I find it absurd people who have chosen to name themselves after an invasive culture, the Philistines, which is literally what the word means, the invaders, that they're going to argue with us about the nature of indigeneity. Not only that, but as I think that you and I have spoken about before, this whole concept of indigenous is just colonialism turned inside out. Meaning, where does this idea come from that certain people are native to lands and others are invasive? Well, let's, let's play the game. Are the French from France? What do you think? Well, it depends on how you define it. Really, they're Germanic tribes. Ah, well, Germanic tribes from where? Well, if you want to trace them far back enough, they're actually from well, far northern Europe. Right, so we, we, at what point are the French no longer indigenous? Do we have to scrape around to find somebody who was there before them and take away the land? This is not what the basis of rights is built on. You can take a theological basis, as Ari was, and I happen to agree with, you know, but it, meaning that God gave us this land. But don't forget, God gave us this land not with a free ride. Right, as we're going to see repeated in our parsha and later, it's it's on a condition, a very important condition of the mission, right? Or you can look also at the history, which is let's 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 talk truly about how we got to where we are. Why why do we look like white people coming to repossess this land? How did we get driven out of our land two thousand years ago in the destruction of the temple, right? What what came before that? Why is it that we're mourning the destruction of our temple, second temple, two thousand years after the birth of Christianity, and it was you know. 600 years before the birth of Islam. Where is the scale of history in people's minds? I think it's a very important story to be told. Well, what you've done just now is have left us yet again with questions. And one of the big challenges that pro-Israel narrative field workers, I don't think they've identified themselves as that, but we're in the, in the, in the narrative business. Absolutely. Um, they struggle because our story is complex. It does not come down to a soundbite in a world where soundbites matter, in a world where soundbites, where people basically take a reflexive um, 
position, whether it's a good guy or a bad guy, right or wrong, black or white, which root team do I root for is the question here. And, and if you can't kind of give them, and you know, the indigenous argument is like, we were here. This is our land. Here's our parents are buried here. Uh, the, the God argument is also good. The problem is a lot of people don't have the ability to process that language. It's like a, it's like a, type, of, it's a type of software that they just don't possess. It's They're, a medieval worldview in their minds. You know what? You know what? Even without their the 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 negative side of how they denigrate it, they just simply cannot process that because yeah. they just don't have the the they don't believe in God or they don't understand his story. By the way, that's a big narrative change. Two hundred years ago, the Bible was the Twitter of today, meaning to say it had memes and ideas and stories that everybody knew. Uh, a little bit like the Greek mythology, you know, yes. in the sense that it was valuable in a in a cultural sense we all watched fabric of the cultural discourse right we all watched seinfeld i.e we all read the bible you know so we all had the lines we all knew but we all knew it today you go to campus and you know i have i have a little test i ask people i'm like who was rebecca i find that rebecca is is a great person to ask about it's just like it's 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 not abraham you know and and it's not moses like who was rebecca people just don't know people just don't know and i'm sure we're talking about the basics of the book of genesis so therefore, we're not on the same page. So therefore, you know, putting it all on God is, is a little bit, it's, it's truest, but it can't be digested by the average person. But I really think I know what our tagline is. I think I, think I know what our soundbite is. It, and it's choose life. Because in, in, in the end of the day, and it's not just a soundbite, because it's something that, first of all, everyone can get behind. And anyone who can't get behind it, you ought to be very wary of. And it's something you can empower the average Jew saying, listen, just act in a way which shows people that you choose life. Now, and, and, it's, and it's very diverse because it, it doesn't necessarily bind itself to a political worldview. It, it, it could fall in all kinds of places on the particular conflict that's happening here. But I believe it's really what differentiates Am Israel from our enemies. I have to agree with you. I'm not sure it's a, it's a, it's a media tagline. Again, very complex idea. I'm not such a media person. Right. <laughs> Choose life. I'm trying I mean, to I agree with you. I agree with you. I agree with you. Israel is a, is a loving, creative force. Love, by the way, equals creativity. Unlike what the Greek system is, L- Jewish love equals creativity and birth. Yes, and we are procreation. That's right. While while uh, while the not the individuals, but the Palestinian cause, pl- the Palestinian narrative, and its supporters are entropic. They are they are there to try to undermine life, goodness, and, and rights, and, and so on and so forth, and it is just a destructive force. I don't mean the individuals. I just, let's make that the, the distinction. I don't mean the individual Arab who identifies themselves as a Palestinian. I mean the movement that's trying to erase Israel. All right, so we're in the book of um, uh, Deuteronomy, the first, the first uh, Torah portion. You are listening to the Yishai Fleischer Show, landofisrael.com, Spiritual Cafe, Rabbi Mike Ford at Pardis Institute. Um, and basically, uh, Moses is going to go through yet again... Uh, for the third time in a short amount of time, the sin of the spies, this time with some uh, differences, uh, but basically um, the, the, the themes of the melting of the heart, uh, and this time uh, God says, basically what I understand is, is, that, is that he says, God says to Moses, according to Moses, this is Moses retelling how God told it to him, he says, look, you, this bad generation, all had to be wiped out. You were replaced by Kalev, Ben Yifuneh, who received the land that he stepped on, Rashi says, Hebron. Um, Joshua, I also got in trouble because of you, and Joshua had to replace me. 
Okay, and basically the real reason, you know that whole story with the water and I hit the rock and all that. You know, let me tell you the backstory. The backstory is that he really got angry at you. He wanted to erase the whole generation, and I was part of your generation. I was locked in with you, and therefore I had to leave the scene. It's your fault, and Josh was going to replace me. This, to me, is the keystone of not only understanding that particular story, which is so important, why didn't Moshe go into the land, but actually understanding what the Book of Devarim is doing in relationship to the other four books. Just think about how the story was told a few weeks ago, a couple months, actually, in Shlachacha, in, in the Book of, of Bamit Bar. Who was the agency there? God says, Shlachacha. Right? He says, go ahead, Moshe, send. Now Rashi interjects, you know, you, he said, what is Shlachacha? If it seems right to you, Moshe. But here now, Moshe is saying, Who, whose idea was this? Well, you all came to me, you all being the people, and you said, we want to send spies. And it seemed like a good idea to me. So I said, okay, go ahead. And then Moshe says, and God was angry, etc. And, and now that's why I'm not going to land. What, what are we seeing here? We're, I think we're finally understanding the depth of what happened. And of course, where Rashi got his idea that God left it up to Moshe. What happened? The people came to Moshe and said, we're afraid. We want to send out some spies to check the place out. And Moshe did. He always did. Whenever the people asked him about anything, what did he do? He turned to God. said, God, what should I do? And for the first time, God said to him, I don't know, Moshe. What should you do? And that's what Moshe means, or what Rashi means when he says, you know, you, you do this if you think you're right. And so Moshe listened to the people. He thought, oh, listen, they're afraid. They'll go see the place. It'll be okay. In the end of the day, I think that what the, the failure, so to speak, that led to Moshe's inability to come in the land is he did not appreciate the people's fear. Moshe was not afraid. His intimacy with God precluded fear. I, I would say that Moses, from the very get-go, is a man, even without... It's true, even he, before the revelation. He's a man who is willing, with one fell swoop, to destroy his old a career in, in Pharaoh's court, just smash an a, a, a Egyptian a slave driver and kill him and bury him. Next day, you know, to, 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 to deal with fellow Jews and to you run away to a strange land. Then to start up with the Midianites in a strange land who are messing with the Midianite girls. He, his whole thing is, he, he is not, he, fearful is not his thing. Interestingly enough, though, he does have one fear, the one moment of fear, and he gets smashed for it. The one moment of fear is when God says, I don't know if it's fear, but he maybe it's, it's, it's humility to some kind of power that was too much, is that when God says, I want you to go protect, save the Jews, he's like, no, 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 I'm the wrong guy. I'm the wrong guy. So I think you're, you're correct. This is deeper than simply his uh, intimacy with God. I think it's, it's his essential nature. So even more so, he, he is unable to speak to their fear. And so I think that God then says, huh, listen, we need someone right? Someone who's got that spirit, as Rashi says, who can speak to every individual actually where they are. And that's Joshua. Joshua's going to know, he's going to relate to, he's going to be able to understand the people's fear and he will be able to guide them forward. Moshe, you're going to have to stay here. And, but in that, what do I mean it opens up the relationship of Devarim to the rest of, of the Torah? Because in the retelling, we get Moshe's understanding of the events that happened. We mentioned this last week. Right? The basic question that Devarim poses is where does the truth lie? Does it lie in the reality of the experience? The first four books, the narrative, my life as it goes along, the events are real. They really happened to me. But if you think about something which was life-changing for you that was more than five years ago, I'm willing to bet 
that when you look back at now, five, ten years later, you don't understand it in the way you did when it happened. And the question is, well, which one's true? I mean, as it actually happened, it was real. But now that you're older, wiser, you've revisited this idea in your mind, you have a deeper and perhaps more true understanding. That's what Moshe's saying to the people. He's saying, listen, you have to keep coming back to these things. If it really matters, keep coming every year. Think of the cycle of the Jewish calendar. Every year, remember Seder. Sinai. Remember coming out of Egypt. Remember getting there to everything. And keep coming back because... It, it becomes new every year. We are a people that doesn't leave our past behind. We carry it with us into the future. And therefore, it is always relevant. It is never what was alone. It is always how what was informs what is and guides us in what will be. I love that thought. Uh, and, and, and in a sense, um, what you're also saying, it's, it's not only reliving the past. It's actually, li- how should we say it? It's actually making the, the past come alive today and its issues... Not just come alive. It's almost like you, you actually are like in that moment reanalyzing, redoing it, and maybe doing it better. Maybe maybe with, with a few more turns we'll get to the, the Messianic times. Um, we are uh, here at uh, Pardes, Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies, pardes.org.il. Uh, Rabbi Mike, I got, some, um, <clears throat> I got some emails from folks that wrote in. What I asked is that folks write in... Uh, with the subject line, I am a listener. That's all I ask for. I am a listener. You could write stuff or not write stuff if you have time, whatever you want, but I just, uh, you know, take your time. Uh, t- don't, don't take your time. That's what I mean. Don't take your time. Just fire off a little email that says, I am a listener. It's that easy. And I've gotten a lot, of, of course, my email is yeshai at thelandofisrael.com. I've got a lot of emails from folks. First, I heard from Miguel. Shalom Yishai. My name is Miguel. And I made Aliyah, thank you, two years ago. I live in Beit El now, but I'm serving as a lone soldier in the IDF. You give me a lot of strength to continue during hard times. So Miguel, uh, let me just say that thanks so much for writing in to I'm a Listener, but I also would like to invite you to my house for Shabbat. We have lone soldiers from time to time. Write me an email. I can't wait to see you. Uh, I saw a picture of him in front of Marat HaMachpelah with his full army uniform. Miguel, lots uh, lots of respect for you. Thank you for coming home to Land of Israel. Thank you for serving in the IDF. Respect and come eat Malka's delicious food on Shabbat uh, on the Mount of Olives. So that's really cool. Hi, Ishai. My, my wife, uh, Michal, and I are enjoying your show on the Land of Israel, an excellent successor to the Voice of Israel. While we're not Dati, we're not religious <clears throat> or observant, we share many beliefs of you and your peers on the Land of Israel. I love the national religious take on politics, as long as the rabbis aren't actually dictating the agenda. We moved here from southern New Jersey, 91, raised our two sons here. Unfortunately, they're both living in the U.S. for now after serving in the IDF in, in important units. So let's pray that your children come home soon. Bezrat Hashem, uh, Steve. I hope that they come back. Stephen Michal, blessing your children to be successful and come back home soon. He says, I was a journalist for 20 years, written 1,000 articles on Israel. Uh, a few years ago, the Weekly Jewish Times of South Jersey a ceased publication. Since then, I've been a blogger with uh, three regular uh, blogs, uh, three blogs carrying my articles regularly. Another is picking up. Um, and then he talked about uh, Kiryat uh, Arba. Uh, family wants 292 new settler homes. I think that's talking about the uh, the families that live in uh, Kiryat Arba and the Halali Afariel family. He writes, I really admire these families who put it all on the line for us. Well, Steve is out in Althay Minasheh, which is also a Jewish community, out in the quote-unquote settlements, pushing the, uh, the agenda of the Jewish people's return to the land of Israel. Speaking of Minasheh, Rabbi Mike, I saw yesterday um, uh, a skirt store for women, 
well, I mean, not a kilt store, you know, skirts, and, and it was called Chatzait HaMenashe, uh-huh. which means the, skirts of Menashe, but it also plays off Chatzit HaMenashe. The half-tribe of Menashe. Can you believe that? I, I was, love it. It's a store name, not even like a little thing, like Chatzait HaMenashe. I was loving it. Um, uh, hi, Rabbi Yishai. This is Cliff and Valerie, Valerie Ahava from Penang, Malaysia. Penang? Penang? P-N-A-N-G, Penang. Uh, special hello to Rabbi Mike. Love your show and look forward to it all the time. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat, Shabbat shalom. shalom to the good friends in Malaysia. Tell me all about it. Why didn't you send me a picture? I want to see a picture of you guys. I want to see what Malaysia looks like from your eyes. Cliff and Valerie Ahava, God bless you guys. Let's keep going. Uh, I am a listener. Uh, hi, thanks for your great show. I'm always interested. It's always interesting, insightful, with lots of fresh perspectives. Thank you for being an advocate for Torah Israel. I'm Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael. Mashiach now, Chaya from Canada. God bless you, Chaya. Can't wait to see you out there. I'm heading out to Toronto at some point. Let's see if we could uh, meet up, do some cool events. Cindy writes, Cindy, I, I made a little joke about something that she said last time, uh, and she wanted to correct me. She says, Yisha, I was listening via MP3 download of your recent show. I heard my email being read, and I want to clarify something. I did not mean if only to mean that you and Israel uh, only bless us via the airwaves. That was just a joke on my part. We Gentiles have much to thank you for in <clears throat> introducing us to the only true God of Israel, the God of Israel, creator of the universe, the scriptures handed down by your prophets and kings, understanding of those scriptures by your teachings, a land to visit to connect with God of the universe, not to mention all the creative and inventive venues such as music, medicine, technology, just to name a few. Seeing you back in the land after 2,000 years brings us hope of the redemption of the world and the coming of Messiah. Hallelujah. What I meant was I wish I could only know you all personally. I long to travel to Israel. Someday I will. I love to feel connected to what is going on. Your show and the whole network are a blessing to us. God bless you and thank you for praying with us. That is nice to know. I pray for you too, Cindy. Amen. What do you think about that? Uh, Gentiles? Well, I think the beautiful thing is she picked up on exactly what the mission of the Jewish people is, which is to give a physical point of connection in the world to the God of the whole universe. And I got to look at this picture. Look at this picture. Look at this picture. This is one of my favorite pictures in life. I never got such a happy picture. And this is uh, from Chava, uh, from Ginot Shimron, who also has a website called OurKidsCanThrive.com, holistic tips for special kids. And uh, Chava has a beautiful family uh, here in the land of Israel, Ginot Shimron, that's in Samaria. And they are just, uh, uh, they are coming together from, from different parts of the world to, to be here. And uh, the uh, Chava's family is just one of the most beautiful families I've ever seen. It just gave me such a nachat. It is a beautiful uh, picture. To see the Jewish people coming back home from all different walks of life and through many different journeys. Last picture I have from you is yet another picture, uh, a completely different kind of picture. Is a graduation picture sent from Cindy, who says, This picture is the latest I have. Uh, of my family. Our son graduated high school this past May. He's very tall. Uh, our daughter is married, but somehow Jacob missed getting into the picture. Uh, I always catch her broadcast via email sent, so sometimes I, I listen later to them. And she, she came to Israel via Hayovel, which is an organization of uh, Gentiles, Bible-loving Gentiles, who are working the land itself and coming to pick the grapes. Wake up at four in the morning. If you want to be a, 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 a servant of God and work on the mountains of Samaria, come to Hayovel, check it out. Um, <clears throat> she says when she was here, I, she was quite surprised by the feeling. Since then, I've been on a quest to better understand where I fit into God's big plan. 
It's been a fun journey so far. You and Rabbi Mike greatly add to my understanding. There you go, Rabbi Mike. Folks from all over the world are sending pictures of themselves. Uh, and here's my next... So I, I want to I keep hearing from you. I'm going to put up these pictures in my, in my office of, of you folks sending me pictures of wherever you are. I love it. Right into I Am A Listener. Uh, just uh, just com. Put in the subject line, I Am A Listener. Send me a picture of yourself. If you're really feeling good and you want to support Israel... Send a picture of a flag of Israel somewhere around your house or on your bumper sticker or something. Uh, I, you know, like put up a flag of Israel. I really tell people, you want to stand with Israel? I want you to show it to everybody. I want you to be like, I am with Israel. I stand with Israel. Just put up a flag in front of your house next to your American flag, smaller, next to it, whatever you want. But like show, I mean, look, folks, there are people out there putting up rainbow flags and other flags. Putting up a flag of Israel, I think that says a lot. I think putting up the blue and white. Yeah, it's showing your colors. I mean, it's really, really what it is. Um, and there's a tremendous influence that that public acts can have on people. It creates a very different atmosphere. Courage. It teaches courage as well. There's For a lot sure. of people. Now, a new segment of our show, Rabbi Mike, and we're going to get back to Torah in just a second, and that is um, some advertising. Yes, I've gotten some some good folks around there uh, to advertise on the show and to support the show and to sponsor the show. And I want to read out just a few cool things. Now, the best part about the advertising that I'm about to do right now is that I feel good about every single one of these products because I actually picked the ones that I wanted to advertise. And uh, every one of these things is a way to better connect to Israel. And so, therefore, everything that I'm advertising is something that has my personal, uh, what's it called? Stamp of approval. Stamp of approval. Nothing is coming through. Nobody could pay me a million dollars in advertising the show, something that I would, well, the million. All right, <laughs> All right, let's not overdo it. Nobody could pay me a lot of money to advertise something that that, um, that I wouldn't do myself. So just very quickly, uh, my good friend Baruch uh, uh, is the owner of uh, two companies that basically bring in stuff to Israel. If you are going to build a house in Israel, you want Anderson Windows? You know Anderson Windows from America? My friend is the only proprietor of Anderson Windows. You can buy them, install them here in Israel, and it's, it'll, it changes your house. So andersonwindows.co.il. And this, is, and this is if you're really feeling good about life. If you want a new kind of grill that they have today, you know that you have, you have a grill? What kind of grill do you have? I just have a very simple charcoal grill. Charcoal grill. Coals. Coals. You, you probably have wanted to graduate to gas sometimes maybe. Well, or I've been maybe a vegetarian not. for 20 years, so it right. seems like an unnecessary investment. <laughs> I am the best vegetarian barbecue you know, however. Okay, I, I'd like to try that. I certainly will, maybe even the Shabbos. Um, but there's a new kind of grill out there that uses wood pellets, and it's, it's got flavors inside. It's called Traeger, Traeger Grills. It's actually spelled a little funny, T-R-A-E-G-E-R, Traeger, TraegerGrills.co.il. Now, these are in Israel. That's the beautiful thing. I'm not talking about Anderson Windows for America. I'm talking about for building your house and to barbecue for your kids here in the land of Israel. Set it, forget it. Traeger makes cooking simple. It's a lot of fun. What about a tour guide? You may need the, a great tour guide. There are so many tour guides out there that are just wonderful. I love Israeli tour guides. My good friend, Mayor Eisenman, gives a great tour from a Torah perspective. Uh, his website is hameirtours.com. Hameir, like light up, to, to light up the, the land. And basically, uh, he's a licensed tour guide. He's going to help you show. He's going to show you two things, both the land and the Bible and how they connect. Amazing guy. Absolutely, uh, a, a big fan. You will enjoy him. Also, uh, one of the one of the important advertisers here is Capone Defense. If you want to learn how to be a Jewish fighter or or how Jewish fighters do it, Capone Defense was founded by Major Avi Capone, one of Israel's top counter terror experts, with a vision of providing top level security, shooting training, 
for for s- civilian and military. Uh, it does great stuff. He's hired by the police all the time to teach their best people. He's awesome. Just one like little trick that he taught me about how how to hold the pistol changes everything. That's CaponeDefense.com. If you want to come to the land of Israel and like get the best training, and if you need something from uh, so that's CaponeDefense.com. And if you want uh, photographs that will blow your mind from the land of Israel. Uh, you got to check out this this he's not he he taught me I went to a photography course with this guy named Yaal Herman. The word Yaal is the last word in the Bible in the our Bible, right? Like go up to the land of Israel. His name is Yaal Herman. His website is yaalherman.com and he just has the most incredible everything from Bible photography to the land of Israel to just it'll blow your mind. It'll adorn you. It will be an aliyah. If this picture makes it to your house, Jew or Gentile, you will have an aliyah because you will be living with the land. Now, all of these advertisers, if you don't remember what I said, just say that photographer, write me an email, yishaythelandofisrael.com, and, I, and I, will, I will connect you with that. Of course, when you're going to reach out to them, tell them that Yishai sent you, and they'll give you a good deal and, and other good services. So check out uh, those websites. Finally, and we're going to get back to Torah right now, uh, the flag on the top of the Mount of Olives is on, of my building is starting to fade and, and, and crack because of the wind. There's now a need for a new flag. And if you donate to this flag, you get the old flag, right? You get the old flag that, is, that has flapped on the top of the Mount of Olives. The new flag is going to be bigger, three and a half meters by five and a half meters. That's okay? a big flag. It's a gigantic flag. It's got to be well made or else it gets torn apart in the wind around here. Uh, so you're going to get the Mount of Olives flag um, and you're going to put up a new Mount of Olives flag. That is an awesome deal. The flag costs 400 bucks. 400 bucks plus shipping and handling for me to send it to you, the old flag. Uh, the bottom line, yeah, that's not a small amount, but 400 bucks. If you want to make it 500 bucks, that, w- that way you also donate to the show as part of the thing. You're going to get a flag, you're going to put up a flag, and you're going to be part a- of the show. It's a very exciting opportunity for you. The, the flag is... We, now, we can wait a little bit longer, but it's going to get more and more ripped. And instead of being a Kiddush Hashem, it becomes like a little bit of a Chilal Hashem. You want it to look nice and sharp, and what is $500 for you to take, to take part in this incredible mitzvah of putting up a flag? And, and that flag has seen everybody. Tour guides have told me, yeah, yeah, yeah. We now see the flag. Keep that up. It looks completely different. And we can point to Eastern Jerusalem and say, there's the Mount of Olives. There's the Jewish flag right there. That's, that's a Jewish neighborhood. So that's if you want to donate for that, yishaifleischer.com. Rabbi Mike, your own campaign for, uh, for history lessons. Where we, we succeeded. You succeeded. Um, so now you can just... Stay connected to me on Rav Mike Foray at Facebook, and in another three weeks, I'm going to start rolling out the podcast. That is super exciting. Okay, back to the Torah portion. How was that? How did you find that advertising? Did you enjoy that a little bit? Well, I'm starting to think about what I need. <laughs> it's, it's really fun. It's really fun. Oh, P.S., speaking of advertising, well, another Torah topic is that we're in the, th- in the, in the um, nine days. We're right now in the nine days, which really is the cruddiest time in so many ways here in Israel. It's just, it's, it's a blessing on the one hand because these are the sad days where we remember the temple. Isn't that awesome that we're just, like you said, people that remember the temple? And our rabbis came up with these ingenious ways to help us sting us a little bit in life so that we remember. For example, you're not supposed to take a full-on shower. The shower is not supposed to be so hot. And if you do take a shower, it's like in pieces. You can't put your whole body under it. Now, that may seem like a strange thing, but when I do that, I'm like, you rabbis are brilliant because that is annoying. Annoying enough that I still get clean, but like I'm still like, oh, and it just makes me think like, 
life is not perfect because there is no temple. And temple was destroyed. What it does is it takes the enjoyment out of it and it reduces it to purely functional. And, there, and there's a, a, a very powerful um, structure which the rabbis crafted in the first with the three weeks and then the nine days approaching the ninth level and the week in which the fast itself falls and then the day itself, which is basically the, the inversion of mourning. I mean, the Jewish laws of mourning are, are very deep and they're, they're attuned to human psychology and how we deal with assimilating tragedy. The challenge of mourning something of, of an historic nature is that we didn't actually experience it, meaning there's something very natural about mourning death. God forbid you lose someone. I know you've experienced this yourself as have I. Right? No one needs to coach you to your feelings. Right? There are ways in which behaviors can, can help you to assimilate and process those feelings into what is hopefully a helpful and, and growthful attitude in the long run. But here what they've done is they've reversed the whole process. They're trying to bring us toward the experience of loss. Mm-hmm. Right? Instead of the loss beginning a process toward healing, here they're taking us from a normally sort of uh, normative healed state and trying to open a wound so that yeah. we actually feel the loss. Mm. And it, it's a tremendously they're powerful. Picking, they're picking at a scab. Yes, and so much of that is in exactly what you identified is that the process about taking away the things we do for our pleasure and yet leaving the functionality in place. You, you don't have to be dirty, but you can't enjoy it. Right. right. Because it throws into relief this question, well, what is my life about? So this morning uh, I saw like a quarter of a, uh, of a soda water and then there was a grape juice and I poured the grape juice into the soda water and I was about to take that to work. And my wife was like, <gasps> what are you doing? I'm like, what, what, what did I do already so bad? What now? You know, <laughs> what did I do this time? And and it turned out that it was, uh, you're, you know, my wife reminded me, you're not supposed to drink a grapey drink, which is a little pleasure in this world. And, and, and we don't eat meat. My good friend, Mayor Eisenman, the tour guide, he gets like weak through this period because he really eats meat every day. He's one of these folks. Um, uh, you got to give him a lesson about how to feel strong without eating meat. Um, but, but, but it's these little like... Stings now the the epicenter no no the zenith excuse me of the whole thing is the ninth of Av and yet this year we're going to be eating drinking singing and being merry on the ninth of Av how how does that how, how's that happening well it's an incredible fulfillment of a prophetic vision of redemption the fact that the ninth of Av falls out on Shabbat this year now the fast will still occur we push it off one day because we don't fast on Shabbat we push it off one day but you know, in, in the prophet Zechariah, Zechariah, right, the people at the beginning of the second temple period, remember, this is commemorating the destruction of both temples. At the beginning of the second temple period, people are confused. Like, I don't understand. The temple was destroyed, the first temple, and we were mourning for that loss. But now we've rebuilt. What do we do? Do we still fast in the fourth and the fifth month, right? And so the prophet says two things to them in the voice of God, of course. He says, first of all, ask yourselves, when you were fasting, were you fasting for me? Or are you fasting for you? Just like when you're eating. Are you eating for me or are you eating for you? And that's a very important question. Mm. Remember, we're not giving to God through our fast. What we're meant to be doing is transforming ourselves. So really subtly, God is saying to them, well, you want to know whether you should fast or not? Have you fixed yourselves? Did it work? But on an on a even more grand level, this, which we managed to taste this coming Shabbat, the prophet says in the long run, not only will we not fast, but I, says God, will transform these days of mourning into days of joy and feasting. And, and this year, the, the ninth of Av is on Shabbat, and the law is that there's only two things that you can fast on on Shabbat. One is Yom Kippur if it falls out, and the other is a fast for a bad dream. That's right. But this is, this is a, the, the bad dream is over. 
That was the exile. We are now going to be, and the law is that you're supposed to eat a full meat like the meal of Solomon on the ninth of Av that falls on Shabbat. It's like a, it's like a gift. It's like a mercy. Morning is, is actually forbidden on Shabbat. And I'll tell you a quick personal story. My father, right, he should, his memory should be for a blessing. We buried him on a Friday, mm-hmm. right? And um, I'll never forget that as we were sort of leaving the house to go to shul, one of his friends said to me, you know, that there is no mourning on Shabbat. And I looked at him like he was from Mars. I mean, just come back from the funeral. And yet the most amazing thing occurred. I, got, I went to shul. We began to sing, you know, L'chad Dodi, the hymns with which we welcome Shabbat. And it was as if a warm blanket just embraced me. And the, the pain of what had just occurred didn't go away. It just stepped back. And from that point on, for the entire year of mourning, Shabbat became this incredible place of comfort and shelter for me. And so I very much value the opportunity to actually sit in, as you said, I think it is the epicenter, as well as the, you know, the epicenter of pain for our people, and, and to rejoice because knowing that we're tasting the promise of what's to come. But, but, but why is it that this year, why is it that the Sabbath pushes that off? It's like, uh, you know, um, well, first thing, the Talmud says that there's actually, there's a, there's a, Machloket, uh, what's an argument, argument in the in the in the Talmud about which day is really the bad day because there's an opinion that says the tenth was when the temple actually burnt or the majority of it burnt and therefore right. we are mikayim we fulfill that opinion in the Talmud of of fasting on the tenth. True, but intrinsically we we say the ninth is the height, and I, I think that the reason that Shabbat pushes it aside is because never forget there are two planes, well really three, on which this tragedy is playing out. One is the personal plane how I myself relate to it. And that's so much of the work we do in making it real for ourselves. Another one is the national historic plane, right? We as a people were in our land. We had the temple and we lost it, right? But then there's the existential plane. There's the fabric of creation. And God says, you know, when it comes to the fabric of creation, you've actually got nothing to worry about. And the great proof for that is that God said, I built the greatest source of oneg, the greatest source of the pleasure you can take in harmonious existence into Shabbat. It's there in the fabric of creation. And when that fabric butts up against the national historic story, God is basically saying to us, don't be afraid. Don't worry. Right? It's, it's okay. Right. Because I'm, I'm the producer and director and, hol- and the set creator. I'm holding the whole picture. Right. So don't worry about it a little bit for right. now. Uh, also, as, as you mentioned, that the prophet Zechariah talks about uh, changing the fast days into, into joyous days. The ninth of Av is known as a moed. It's known as a, a, a holiday. It has an element in it, which is a pilgrimage holiday. And that is stated, especially by Rav Tzadok Milublin, who talks about the ninth of Av till the 15th of Av being a new fourth Regal, this is the what I talk called the American regal, right? Where, where like the summertime uh, uh, pilgrimage holiday, and that you'll that it's going to be the ce- specific celebration of the temple. It's going to be specifically about the temple, and there's going to be a fourth uh, uh, pilgrimage holiday for the summertime, so it'll be easier for you to fly. Of course, at that point, the whole world will be like the land of Israel, and all of the land of Israel will be like Jerusalem. Things may may change, uh, so that is the feeling. There's there's going to be a tinge of that, a, an element of that in this week's, this year's ninth of Av, hopefully. And it's a beautiful image that, you know, from the ninth to the 15th of Av, Tuba Av, because, you know, that 15th in, in the rabbinic mind is what I call the, the festival of the resurrection. And we've spoken about the death march, as you called it, right, these 40 years in the desert, where every ninth of Av, after God had decreed that none of that generation would make it into the land, everyone would dig their graves and lay down in them at night. And in the morning, 
some of them would get up and some of them wouldn't. So down and they kept lying down. And they kept lying. Well, they, they knew that God had decreed. There was so no they choice. They thought that maybe they missed on the calendar somehow. So then the last year, exactly, the morning, everybody wakes up on the 10th of Av, and everybody's alive. And they say, we must have missed it, because they're counting by the moon. 9th of Av, 10th of Av, 8th of Av. It's not so easy, right? So they do it again and again, until they get to the 15th of Av, which is, of course, the full moon. And by that point, they realize that the, the, the death sentence has been lifted. It's the holiday of the resurrection, which is why it's so beautiful what you said, because it's the holiday which is waiting for us to realize and to wake up to the fact that the long sleep, the death of exile, is over. And that if you wanted to right now, you don't have to wait for the Messiah. You can buy a plane ticket. You can get up and come to the land of Israel and, and be here in Jerusalem together with us. Back to the Torah portion now. We're gonna, we, we, the good, that was good news about the Shabbat. Thank you, Rabbi Mike. Um, and basically... Um, the Torah portion uh, is going to end with, um, uh, again, a recap of the wars which, which Moses led. And we don't think of Moses, you know, we don't think of Moses the general. I like to think of Moses as Moses the general. The one person who I like, I always put in my mind to kind of give me a taste of what Moses the general and Joshua the general and Caleb the general look like, and I think of them as army generals, I really do, is Rav Gorin. Like a like a mixture of a super Talmud Chacham and a super fighter, and I mean fighter. I don't just mean a Beit Midrash fighter. I mean out there in the sweaty field, shoot 'em up, you know, bows and arrows, spears, and all that business. Um, and he basically gives a recount of the business um, of of the conquering of Sichon and Og. Uh, which lands did they walk around? Which lands did God say? Don't go to because that's, and by the way, that's a very interesting thing. In this week's Torah portion, you get again a sense that God also has other people that he has quote-unquote chosen or respects or gives their land to. It's not just a Jewish story. There's the children of Esau and there's the children of uh, um, Moab Mo- and Ammon. The Ammon and Moab, the, cho- the, the daughters of Lot, uh, the, 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 the children that came out of that. Like, I, I, and I always tell people about also the, um, this is maybe a little different, but, but the mandate, the, the mandate for Palestine was also a mandate for at least three or four other Arab countries. So it wasn't just a creation of one Jewish state. It's a creation of Arab states as well. It's the same thing here. Like God says, no, 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 listen, I respect these other peoples. Don't mess with them. These people I don't respect. I choose, and they're bad. You got to get rid of them. These people, you're not allowed to touch them. It's their land. Respect them. Well, I mean, ultimately, God has a plan for all creation, and it's one of the most important aspects, I believe, of the chosenness of the Jewish people that that comes to teach. What do I mean? Is that if God were an impartial judge who simply treated everyone the same, then there would be no reason to believe that God could actually love anyone. I mean, the infinite creator of the universe, how could the infinite creator of the universe love me? It's actually in the particularity of God's choosing of Israel and his cherishing of us that we learn that God could love everyone in their own individual way. And that's very much the implication of what you're saying. The Torah portion ends with, at that time I gave instructions to Joshua saying, your own eyes have seen all that God the Lord has done for these two kings, the initial victories. God will do the same to all the kingdoms in the land to which you're crossing. Do not fear them since God your Lord is the one who will be fighting for you. And in this, I think we see that Moshe understands the, you know, to borrow a phrase, that there's nothing to fear but fear itself. You know, it's it's so profound that the people at this point are still following a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, and yet fear is irrational. And so what Moshe is telling Yoshua is that his role is to be able to hold that fear, not 
sort of like dismiss it as Moshe himself did, but hold it, but not give in to it, right? And that's why the repeated phrase, if you think about it, at the beginning of Yehoshua is what? Chazak v'yamatz. Be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. Because courage, it's often missed, is actually a response to fear. People who are never afraid aren't courageous. They're just not afraid. Real courage comes from those who recognize their fear and say, I'm not going to let that rule me. Let's, let's quote uh, the phraseology of Rabbi Yom Tov Glazer, a, a, a very unique educator here in Yerushalayim, who says, you have to flex the muscle of courage. Yes. So he says, flex that muscle. It's a muscle, and it's got to overcome something. And in general, I really think that the Torah, especially these, this whole book, is going to be encouraging courage, encouraging love and encouraging courage. Rabbi Mike, let's shift gears just for a second. I want to do another new segment on the show a little bit. just want to talk about one issue of the day. We, we do it from time to time. I want to talk about something. I, um, I saw, and we'll finish off with this, I saw um, coverage from the Olympics in Rio, and they showed how polluted the water was over there. I mean, I mean, I don't mean, I mean like super raw polluted. sewage, just sewage and dirt and a mess. And swimmers are supposed to swim in this water. And and and, and like the, the 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 report was just saying like people are going to come out sick. The air is bad there too. And and I just I just um it, it bothered me. It, it just it just bothered me. And we have in Hebron a problem also with some of the Palestinian authorities. Uh, lack of ability to contain sewage. There's an ancient well there, which was called Abraham's Well, and it is uh, perennially uh, infected, in, in, infected with with bacteria and sickness. That all comes from from mistreated, untreated sewage. Oi, I mean, listen, uh, we don't love and care for our planet enough. That's what it comes down to, and I I think it's a symptom of a culture which, please God, is kind of already reached its peak, which is that culture of individualism and consumption, which is based on the idea that what I do doesn't have consequences beyond my own enjoyment, right? And and there needs to be a greater appreciation of the very collective nature of existence, right? That, that, that our behavior has consequences. And here is a great example. Here are the Olympics, which are meant to be a celebration of an international cooperation, which I'm really not actually such a sports fan myself, but the idea that the world could come together and participate in something other than war is an important idea. It's an important idea. And yet that the context we're seeing is that... Um, and it's supposed to celebrate human achievement. Yes. And instead, the, you know, the real truth is it's all sludgy. And, and we need to act before it's too late. We need to act. You know, people often say, I think mistakenly, well, what will happen to the planet? I got news for you. The planet will go on. The question is, what will happen to us? <laughs> All right, folks. With that, we uh, end uh, the uh, broadcast today of the Shai Fleischer Show Spiritual Cafe, landofisrael.com, from Pardes Institute, which is found in Talpiot, Jerusalem. I am the international spokesman of the Jewish community of Hebron. Check out our website, hebron.com. Uh, write me an email, yishai at thelandofisrael.com. Write right by Mike an email through me. I will forward it to him. You could connect him on Facebook at Rav Mike. Mark Mike Foyer. Rav Mike Foyer on Facebook. I'm on Facebook as well, at Yishai Fleischer, throughout all social media. In any case, though, uh, uh, even if you forget all those things and all those advertisers and the opportunity to buy a flag on the, on the top of the Mount of Olives, don't forget that, that this week's Torah portion uh, is the beginning uh, of the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Dvarim. Connect to the story of Israel, connect to the land of Israel, connect to the God of Israel, and therefore you're going to connect to your own roots and the roots of your strength 
because we are part of something amazing and something strong, something unbelievable, and, and it's an honor and a privilege, and we have to act. Just like Rabbi Mike said, we can make the world a better place through God's vision. Rabbi Mike, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. All right, folks, stay tuned. More great stuff's on the way, and Shalom. The objective of Mizrahi is the total revival of our nation in all its aspects. To revive the land for the nation, to revive Judaism in our hearts, and to revive our hearts for Judaism. The Land of Israel Network brought to you by Mizrahi Olami. That's the Mizrahi World Movement. Have you ever planted a grapevine? What if the grapevine happened to be in the land of Israel? Not only that, but if you were a Christian planting this grapevine in the mountains of Israel, you would be fulfilling prophecy that Isaiah and Jeremiah foretold more than 3,000 years ago. I'm Joshua Waller with Hayuvel, and I invite you to fulfill prophecy on the mountains of Israel by joining us this harvest. Go to Hayuvel.com, that's H-A-Y-O-V-E-L.com for more information. Jake.